Hello and welcome. I'm Mary Winkler and you're listening to another very special Semen podcast. If you're wondering what on earth Semen is, you can find out all you need to know on Semen.com. That's Semen, like week in French. It's a place where you can get to know and shop the world of some of the most creative and colorful characters. This week, we're very excited to be joined by David the Rothschild, the famous British eco-adventurer. David is one of those people you'd actually would wish you'd be sat next to on a nine-hour plane trip. Even if you're not much of a talker on flights, trust us, you would want to hear about his adventures. He was 26 when he traversed Antarctica in 70 days. He's climbed, sailed, hiked and skied in the most beautiful places in the world. He also became the youngest British person to reach both poles and was part of a team that broke the world record for the fastest ever crossing of the Greenland ice cap. He motorbiked through mountains in Mongolia, paddled down the Xingu River in Brazil, and sailed across the Pacific Ocean on an 18-meter catamaran built from approximately 12,500 reclaimed plastic bottles. Yeah, no biggie. Whilst looking for a deeper connection to nature, he felt its inherent fragility. And that, that changed everything. As an ecologist and environmentalist, he set up Sculpt, the Future Foundation a charity that supports innovation and creativity in social and environmental impact efforts. David has been recognized by the international community. He was awarded the accolade of Emerging Explorer by the National Geographic, nominated as a Young Global Leader by the World Economic Forum, and named by the United Nations Environment Programme as a climate hero. His latest adventure? A sustainable high-end brand called The Lost Explorer, an outfitter for the everyday explorer, as he puts it. Some of its apparel is made with material that integrates what David refers to as biomimicry, like a hit-waking technology that imitates the action of a pine cone, which fibers that open when it senses you're hot and closes when it detects you're cold. Other products include surf fins made out of recycled fishing nets and mescal bottles, all branded with a logo that says, established in 2025, to signal that they're always in progress. Are you convinced yet? Yeah, that's what we thought. Well, thank you very much, David, for coming to see us. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so in light of the namesake of this podcast, Semen, uh, we'd like to first ask our guest, how has your Semen or week been? What's been going on? Um, have you been prepping for anything in particular? Um, my week's been good, actually. I, um, I've, been having a, I've been having a sort of a fitness week. I've been trying to get myself fit again. Uh, I just finished some, I've been swimming a lot. Yeah. Um, which which is nice. So um, I've been doing a lot of just learning, uh, learning to understand my own body again. You know, it's just always fun figuring out how to do, uh, get in touch with your body. You know, I think it's really important because I think it's one of these things that we often forget. You know, it's like, mm. you know, it's our it's our engine, it's our life force, and yet we 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 only we only really pay attention to it when something's wrong or yeah. something's hurting us. And um, so I think it's uh, I think to me it's sort of you know, movement of the body and being flexible in the body helps anyway for me to be a bit more flexible in my mind. Um, you know, I think in, especially in, uh, in Chinese medicine, you know, this, this the idea is that you try and avoid stagnation, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I've, that to me is the thing to try and try and keep moving yeah. and, and not be, and not be stagnated. So I've had, I've had a good week. It's been, uh, I just got over from, uh, Los Angeles to Europe, so that's been nice. It's 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 nice to be able to go and wear a, a, a warm jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, and, and, feel, and, 
and feel the cold on your face, you know, and, and feel the seasons. And, uh, yeah, you know, that's, um, that's the kind of, yeah. Good. So let's go back to the beginning. Uh, I've seen uh, that on multiple occasions when you do talks, you show this failed French test. Um, you weren't that really interested in school, were you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think it was, I wasn't interested in school. I think it was more the fact that I realized now, looking back, that, you know, we've, we've created this very um, outdated way of teaching um, mm -hmm. and engaging children. You know, and I think that we are, if we're honest with ourselves, our education system is failing. Yeah. And, you know, we are creating an environment where we try and um, create uh, an injection of information, you know, at an early age where it's like this will give you, you know, skills for the rest of your life. And we're trying to, you know, teach kids for a world that we have no idea what, where, you know, where we're going to be in the next five years, let alone the next 20 years. Yeah. And I feel the same with, with school. It was, um, it was, you know, I was, I was curious. I was too curious, you know, and, and if you're too curious and you're looking and asking questions and, you know, and not engaged, then, um, you know, you get, um, I think you often end up finding yourself marginalized. And I think what you realize is that the education system is only really there to benefit the, the top few people. Yeah. And really what you're doing then is leaving so much potential human potential in, in the class on the table. And so I just felt for me that school wasn't, um, it was again a little bit restricting. Um, I enjoyed, you know, uh, parts of it, but I think that um, when I look back now, I go, obviously, you know, it's funny when you look back when you're older at school, you go, I wish I had done this and that and learned <laughs> this and paid attention to this. Yeah. Hindsight, hindsight is a beautiful thing. But I think, you know, when you're growing up and you're a child, you know, you're, you're, we're all born explorers. We're all born to be curious. And, mm. um, And I think what happens is school really, unfortunately, teaches us often what we can't do rather than what we can do. It teaches us limitations based on arbitrary testing uh, yeah. values. And I, and I think that is the thing for me where I, I sort of, I think there needs to be a revolution in learning. And I definitely think when I was at school, it was still very much, um, you know, a teacher stands in the front of the classroom and talks at you for 40 minutes, you know, yeah. and yeah. Uh, over and over and over again, and then they expect you to pay attention. <laughs> so, and so do you so, think you always had that kind of curiosity and interest for nature, or is it something that kind of came on later? Um, I think I've always had that interest. Um, I think I just, you know, um, I think I've, um, you know, when I look at how, um, I guess a lot of that comes from just growing up and spending a lot of time in the country, in the, yeah. in the countryside, out of cities, um, you know, and, and realizing, you know, when you think about it, you know, we're all creatures of vibration. Everything vibrates, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and so when you're in the city, you, you realize there's a certain vibration, there's a certain energy. And, um, and when you're sitting inside, there's a certain energy, you know, and, 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 and you're always affected by the greater um, sum of energy that's around you. Mm -hmm. And so for me, Um, you know, it's like being out in nature and being in that environment has always made me feel more alive. I mean, it just, it's a natural feeling, you know? And yeah. if you ask, if I ask you now to shut your eyes and go somewhere which makes you feel relaxed or somewhere that makes you feel good, often people say, oh, I was on the beach or in the mountains or in a field or in the countryside. You never say, I want to be in the middle of the city, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I want to, oh, I shut my eyes and I'm in, you know... In, in the in, middle in, of a meeting in, room. Exactly, in the middle of a meeting room. So... <laughs> I think that um, for me, it's always been about, you know, trying to 
um, you know, tap, re- remind myself again, you know, it's a bit like checking in with your body. It's like checking in with nature um, yeah. has always been really important to me. And I guess that's the, like continuing of that question is the, the idea of uh, getting involved and, and um, being touched by this environmental crisis that we're going through. Was it something that you kind of grew naturally or is there a specific event in your life that made you, you know, kind of stand up and say, okay, I want to do something about this? I think it's hard not to, um, um, you know, when you start to, um, if I go back a stage, I guess it's the same, you know, we we are nature and nature is us. Mm-hmm. So if you really take that concept that we're all one and the same and we're, we're made from nature, we come from nature, we'll disappear back into nature. Um, you know, we are just really made up of the minerals that we see all in our planet and, 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 you know, if you start to really understand that and you start to find yourself looking at the destruction of nature, really what we're doing is self-harming ourselves. And that's the crazy thing, right? It's like, you know, we, we, we sometimes over-intellectualize the environmental problem. We make it, we externalize it, you know? I often hear people say to me, oh, you're into the environment, good luck with that. How's your cause, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's, it's not my cause, this is everybody's. This is, you know, we're living on a planet that you know has this incredible life support system that's evolved over billions of years that allows us to breathe allows us to eat food from the ocean and pick fruit from the trees it allows us to 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 live in 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 sort of geological terms in stability you know and and in relative stability and yet every time that we you know sort of ignore the consequences we're we're seeing it come to ourselves so we see more and more people now being affected with cancer, endocrine disorders. We see more and more people now who are, you know, starting to... Depression. Um, you know, just, yeah, with depression, with anxiety, with stress, you mm-hmm. know, and it's all connected, you know, and it's like we look at nature now as being stressed, right? We look at animals, they're more anxious. You see, we're finding, you know, there's studies being done recently on, on, on elephants and they found high levels of anxiety in elephants, right? So yeah. it's replicated. You know, our, our guts are the soil of the planet. So as we, as we take the soil and the planet and we, you know, basically over, you know, we over farm and we sterilize our soils, we're, we're, we're ruining the guts inside ourselves. And now we're seeing everybody re- replicated saying, I have gut problems. As we start to pollute the atmosphere and, and, and cut down the trees, we start to see people having more breathing problems. And, you know, our lungs are the Amazon, you know, mm-hmm. as we start to slow down um, you know, the oceans and the ocean currents, And we look at all the ocean currents that drive circulation of, of heat around our planet. You look at people's bodies and you start to see more people with cholesterol and you see their circulatory system, which is their cardiovascular system, slowing down. So we see lots of heart attacks. We see more people having uh, blood pressure disorders. We see more people having cholesterol problems. We have more people yeah. having, you know, stagnation. So these things, they're replicated. And so it's not about, you know, finding a cause or, championing something or saving something you know it, you know nature's fine you know this planet will be here long after humanity's gone it really will be and our ability to live in relative harmony and peace and with a quality of life is in the balance you know but the and thing really- is somehow i guess now the climate change i mean it's, it's something that is very obvious i think people are becoming more and more conscious yet for some reason it seems too big it seems too difficult to make a change you don't really see how um 
you know, do you think it's because we as humans by nature are more, you know, consumers now? Or how, how do you, uh, what yeah, do you think I about think, that? Yeah. I, think, um, I think it's two things. I think we're, one, I think we're, we're creatures of habit, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we find it very hard to let go of the things that we know. You know, so if you go back to the original question about school, we're always taught to learn. Nobody teaches us to unlearn. Mm-hmm. And really letting go of habits, right? And you know how hard that is even for yourself. When you see yourself doing things that you hate, and we all do it, and you go, oh, my God, why am I that person? And you go, I mustn't do it. But it's mm-hmm. hard work. You have to really work at it to be a better person. You know, to be a better version of yourself takes a lot of work. And it's the same, right? So we created a system that we thought was, was great, was going to serve us all. And what we realize is that the system is fragmented, the system is broken, the system is starting to fail people, the system is starting to create fear and anxiety, the system is causing environmental degradation. But it's very, very hard for us to let go of the luxuries and the things that we created. Mm-hmm. And the thing is this, it's, it's, if we, you know, there's fear in change. And what we, have to, what we haven't done is created a good enough narrative around the new way of thinking and living and being. And so what we've done as environmentalists is we've done a very good job at telling people about the the problems that we've created. We haven't done a very good job about talking about the opportunities that exist, Mm -hmm. right? So most of the environmental narrative you read is more animals dying, more plastic in the ocean, more deforestation, more species loss, more air pollution, et cetera, et cetera, more waters, drought, more fires, more floods. Mm-hmm. They're things that are driving our fear. Fear is not conducive of change. What fear does is create people's, uh, what fear does is it turns people away from, the, from, from, from tackling the problem. What we do is we sort of rationalize it for ourselves. We say, I, you know, the phrase, it's too big for me, I don't really understand it, what can I do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and what we can do is we can all just start to live how we would want the world, in, in a mindset of how we want the world to be, because it has to be everybody or nobody, mm-hmm. you know, right? Because I think what happens is, if you're the only person taking your reusable bag and you see that there's 100 billion bags used every year, plastic bags, and you look at this statistic or whatever it might be, and you go, oh my God, am I really making a difference? But every drop makes a ripple. And you have to have that mindset that I'm, you know, I can just do something. And it can be as small as being curious and asking questions or letting go of habits. And the problem is that we have a system that makes it very easy for us to default to this planet point one zero world. It's very mm-hmm. easy for us to stay comfortable in this, in this thing. We don't want to change the way that we consume. We don't want to change the way that we engage with each other we don't want to change the way that we move around you know and and these are things that make us um you know afraid and so i think this is the this is the challenge as environmentalists is to try and show that there is an opportunity and occasionally this starts to happen i mean a great example is with you know when you look at what's happened with tesla for example yeah for so for so long everybody was like the green car is just awful it's ugly it's you know, there is no, um, you know, it's never going to work. And um, now when you look at it, you go, okay, this is, this is a, you know, there's something there that shifted culture, not only with inside of people, but shifted culture with inside of the industry. Yeah. You I know, know your foundation is called the Future Foundation. Also works yeah. a lot of with children. Do you think it's a genera- like a generation thing in the sense that the new generation might be more kind of inclined 
yeah, I think, changes. I think we're, we're, you know, I think there's a really, you know, if, if, you, if you think about the idea that um, often um, in, in society, in the Western society, we, uh, you know, children should be seen and not heard. We value the workforce because it puts money back into the economy and the elderly we put into old people's homes. We pack them off out of sight. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. We sort of, and if you go back into communities that live in harmony with nature, they revere the elders for wisdom and they revere the youth for their energy and for the, and for the sustenance of, of, of tomorrow. Right. Mm-hmm. And the idea. And so there's a harmony between everybody is equal. You know, everyone mm-hmm. has their value set. Yeah. And I would say, I would say that, um, we, you know, there's this, again, there's a thing where people go, oh, it's the children tomorrow. It's, they're the ones who will get it and they will do it. But the problem, the problem is that it's hap- the issues that we have, that we face are today, they're now. And so that's a great way of us rationalizing again. You know, I hear people say, well, it's not for me to change, but the children will change. And yeah. I'm like, but we all need to change. And what we need to do is we need to help the next generation with, you know, there's some really interesting things to create change, you need to be able to iterate. You need to be able to move fast. You need to be able to not be afraid. You need to be able to um, co-collaborate. And, and, you know, there's certain things that our generation are, are good at, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, have, we have persistence. You know, we're, we're methodical. We think things through. We, you know, we're, we're a generation, I say we, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 40. So I am, um, you know, I'm just the, sort of the, 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 the generation X, I think I am. <laughs> um, and, 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 um, you know, we, we, we have certain skills that, you know, we, we have process and that process is, is, is a blessing and a curse. Right. And then yeah. you get the next generation who come along the millennials and they're all like, Oh, fuck process. We can come in and we can do this. We can disrupt the system. Mm-hmm. Right. And we go, yeah, it's good to disrupt the system, but at the same time, the system serves us. So why don't you listen and we help you and we collaborate because we're not great at collaborating. They're great at collaborating. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they tend to collaborate a lot more, but they don't tend to have, they tend to be much more transient. So when we look at this, you see it the way that they consume, the way that trends are now. So trends now used to be generational. Mm-hmm. About that. A trend was generational. A trend now is monthly. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like this month, the trend is and everybody's into it. And then it's like next month, a new trend. You're like, wow, that was a month, a trend, you know, and we're seeing subculture groups. So everyone's much more transient because we have much more choice. Yeah. And we've gone from, we've gone from generations that go, I need to, I want to, I deserve, right? Yeah. And we're in the, I deserve generation. And so we have to try and find balance. Everyone now is on their devices. Everybody is instantaneous. Everyone expects instant replies. You know, if you reply to an email two hours late, you apologize. I'm sorry it took me so long to get back to you. You're like, yeah. but someone sent me an email two hours ago, and I'm apologizing. I'm so sorry. You know, or the next day, I say, I'm sorry, because we expect instantaneous results. Only five years ago, the Instagram exists. Only 10 years ago did the smartphone exist. But the smartphone is making us dumb. It's making yeah. us, you know, for all these so-called progress, the thing that we're losing is emotional intelligence. We're losing our ability to be human. We're losing our ability to stop and to be able to concentrate on each other, to be able to have, uh, you know, meaningful persistence. So yeah. if we want to solve problems, we have to have persistence, right? We have to be, you know, able to stick with it 
And, and so we can learn from generations that are much more transient and help them be more persistent, but they can also help us to start things and to jump into things and not to be afraid to fail because we are paralyzed sometimes by our fear to act. And I guess also, you know, when you go on your exploration, you can't avoid the fact that it needs to, you're, it's going to take time. It's a process, it's a journey. It's not yeah. only physically difficult, but also it's taking the time to go to those like foreign places and stuff. Um, do yeah. you know, and I, we were just speaking about the importance of, of, of the, the way you tell the stories, right? Do you yeah. now engage on social media and stuff to convey your message or do you avoid that? Um, I have a, I have a sort of a love hate relationship. I feel like it's like, it's, it's a bit like, um, it's a bit like saying, you know, I'm, I want to sort of dabble with heroin, you know, <laughs> like I know it feels, I know that it feels amazing. Um, yeah. and I'm sure I'll enjoy it, but at some point it will kick me in the ass. Yeah. You know, and I, and I feel like this is what social media is a bit like, you know what I mean? You're like, for me anyway. So I have a, a, you know, a feed that I work with on, you know, for Lost Explorer, where I post maybe once a day. Mm -hmm. um, but outside of this, for me, I, uh, I, I don't really go onto social media. I post sometimes to Twitter, you know, but I don't really read stuff. I find that, you know, I think the biggest thing that concerns me now with social media is the collapse of truth. Um, you know, mm -hmm. we, we, everybody has an opinion, which is fantastic, but those opinions aren't always um, based in facts. You know, those yep. opinions are based in, in, in opinions, and those opinions often are not validated by, by truth. Um, they're, they're, you know, and so what I think happens is with social media is that we now um, we see more disenfranchisement. We see more um you, you know detachment and emptiness right i mean we've seen some of the statistics coming back saying that people who spend six hours online versus one hour online a day are over 60 percent more likely to have um depressing and suicidal thoughts and tendencies wow that's that is frightening yeah the first what was the first thing you did this morning uh, i wish i could tell you not watch my phone but probably it was <laughs> yeah probably it's the first thing we do we wake up one eye is open we pick up the phone now often mainly because we're looking to see what time it is right because we yeah. don't have an alarm clock so we look at our, our our phone and then we're in and now we're back online we plug our brain in now we see a message and we reply then we've done three emails and we're like fuck i'm late as we go you know because yeah. you suddenly found 30 minutes has disappeared And then we go, and the last thing we do at night, we get in bed, and we're like, oh, I just checked the news, or I just checked something, and the next thing we know, we're at uh, that time of day where, you know, we're, we're trying to fall asleep, but we're, we're hyping our minds, right, before we go to sleep. So, um, you know, we end up in a situation where we literally are now spending hours online on these devices. And the yeah. reason why is because they do, they've taken one primal thing, And they've managed to and I say they, you know, meaning the content creators. I don't mean it in a sort of, you know, there's a bad person out there because behind every corporation and individuals and behind every individual is the same thing. We yeah. all want the same things, right? Mm -hmm. And the one thing that we really want that it, social media has managed to tap into is we want to be validated. We want to, we want to be seen. Mm -hmm. And it may start at a very early age with your parents where you say, hey, Hey, mom, hey, dad, look at me. I want to be accepted by you or I want to be accepted by my group of friends or I want to be accepted by, you know, my, my boss at work or I want to be accepted. You know, we, we, we go through life trying to be accepted for who we are. We try and be heard. We try and express ourselves so that people say, 
you know what? I really value you. I really, I can see you. I see you, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that's the biggest thing. And so the idea of a like is a psychological marker of that, right? It's it's very primal in us. And so we are addicted to uh, the validation. And this is something that is so hard to to beat. And I know that I don't have the the, the capacity to maybe (laughs) compete with psychological um, you know, uh, attention that they are spending to make us be addicted to these devices. So it's yeah. a very, it's a, it's a game. You know, I, was, you uh, I was reading that you, you said in someone in an interview that you become more cynical and that you're a, pessimi- a pessimistic optimist. So I didn't know if that yeah. came from the fact that you're half English, half American. Um, <laughs> or if it was uh, just, or, you know, or maybe it's, or maybe it's just a little bit of the French in me as well. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, mm. Is that the way you still feel now that you're kind of like you see why their, you know, internet and those technologies are amazing because they, you know, they offer such a reach and they offer a platform, but at the same time they come with all those kind of yeah. negative. Yeah, I think we're the most connected generation. Uh, or we're, we're at the most connected time we've ever been, but I think we're also at some of the most the most disconnected we ever are. Because I think what the, it's it's we're scrolling, you know, we become, you know, it's a great digital distraction, right? Yeah. I mean, the more. And does that, that come we, back also to the nature deficit disorder? You totally, like, exactly. Yeah. yeah, we we you know I call it nature defiancy disorder. Like we just we we sort of almost we we don't again it's a slayer effect, right? So. As we urbanize, we have more people living in cities than ever before. We become more disconnected from the seasons. We become more disconnected from where our food comes from. We become more mm-hmm. disconnected from nature. And then we start to move ourselves inside. We start to consume our experiences digitally, not physically. So we start to remove the, 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 the feeling, the, the physiological effects of being in an environment outside of moving, etc. Um, and, and the resonance that you get from that. And then we start to see and consume our relationship to nature through media so a storm becomes a cyclone bomb you know or mm-hmm. it becomes you know snowmageddon or it becomes some headline grabbing thing you know the, the beast from the east, the east right <laughs> yeah. so we become so now these we're using phrases that make it man versus nature all the tv programs are now on on, on discovery and on on uh, the television are man versus nature survivor shows or they're man you know, Shark Week, you know, when sharks attack, Shark Week is now Shark Month, Shark Month is now Shark Year, it's like always when animals attack, so it's always things of like nature versus man, man being eaten by nature, um, man on fire against nature, when you hear about it, it's, you know, uh, the ocean, it's usually because, a, you know, a cargo ship sunk or a sailor disappeared or someone was found after a hundred days at sea, you know, and some traumatic experience happened that managed for them to get the headlines. Yeah. Someone was eaten by a shark, etc. So our relationship to nature now is becoming one again based on fear. And, and as I said, what happens is we start to then, how do we re- remedy it? Not by saying, I'm going to go into nature, by distraction. We distract ourselves. And so occasionally we feel good when we look at something like planet Earth. So we, planet Earth comes along and it's like a kind of uh, an entertainment of nature. And it's like, a, it's like an island in all this mess. And we go, oh amazing i love nature i love this da, da, da. and then what happens is we we have we have our fix and i call it yeah. nature pornography it's like nature pornography right because yeah. what happens is we watch this this animal swooping down beautifully to grab the fox the eagle 
But we realized that the guy spent five years sitting in a hut to get that one shot, yeah. right? With all the latest technology. Then we go out, out into nature and, and we go, where the fuck is that eagle? <laughs> you know, where are the yeah. dolphins? You know, the ocean is really boring. I haven't seen any whales, any dolphins. When I go to, you know, I haven't seen any fox, you know, and, and so we find that we like to consume nature when it's hyper entertainment. So we're, mm-hmm. we're not comfortable just sitting still. We're not comfortable sitting with ourselves. So this is, this is why I think, unfortunately, now when I become, um, you know, if I'm honest about it, I, I think we've become a little bit, um, you know, I'm sort of worried that the rate in which our planet is changing and our, att- and our, and our capacity to pay attention to it is at odds. And, yeah. and that, is, that is a real risk. Well, you know, if I think about the adventure that you've done and stuff, one of the most famous was the Plastiki, right? And I think sailing yeah. has that. I mean, it is a very, it's because you're physically still, but then the boat is moving. You have those times to think. And actually, yeah. I'd love to ask you that. What does one think about when you're on a, you know, 12,500 plastic bottle you know, boat glued with cashew nuts and sugar. <laughs> Doing, you know, in the midst of those interviews, what do you think about, like, what, what happens there? I think the first thing you think about is, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what was I thinking when I thought of this idea? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think this is often the funny thing, you know, it's like when, when you're sitting in the comfort of, you know, uh, you know, a warm house or an, a warm, you know, sitting in a soft armchair, drinking a cup of tea and you're looking at a map and you're planning something and you say, I'm going to go from here to here. And on the map, it's a finger swipe, you know, it's like, it's uh, yeah. there, there. and then the reality and the enormity of crossing an ocean or skiing across a continent or walking across a jungle, you know, you realize then you're like, okay, you always remind yourself, you say, really? Next time, remember what you were thinking, you know, <laughs> yeah. about, the, about the scale of it. But I think what happens is, as you start to, I mean, and, and, you know, the, you know, it's like the microcosm. It's like when you go on holiday, right? You know, the, what I always, you know, whenever you go on holiday, it's usually at the end of the holiday, you say, oh, my God, I'm only now starting to feel like I'm on holiday. Yeah. Because it takes us two to three to four days to shake off the, the sort of, you know, the, the, the everyday life, right? The things that just consume us and and I think the same happens on an adventure. I think you get, you know, so when you're, you're planning it, you're focusing on it, you're trying to build, a, you know, a sponsorship and media, and you're trying to get the thing together. You have very little time to really reflect on what you're doing. And so only once you often get on the adventure do you start to realize actually what you're, you've, you've, you've undertaken, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives you time. I mean, the ocean is such a sort of, hypnotic place and you saw you saw the great pacific garbage patch i mean that must have been quite something no yeah well we saw you know we we, in the end we sailed alongside you know so this is the thing about these patches Mm -hmm. basically the reality is that anywhere in the ocean where currents converge and there's about eight major gyres in our ocean um but wherever those gyres which is basically a swirling current conversion so where the northern currents meet the southern currents in the in the pacific you see massive gatherings of of, of plastic so it's it's really you know to me it's not a the, the myth was that there was this proper island that you could sort of get on and walk and see mm-hmm. most of the plastic in our ocean is microplastics yeah. and this is the thing that we're starting to understand now is that mm-hmm. we're seeing 
fragments of plastic because what happens to plastic is it never disappears it just breaks down into smaller pieces mm-hmm. so as the plastic breaks down into tiny and tinier pieces it, it, it sort of floats more ominously underneath the surface of the ocean so this is this is the the, the realization i mean and what we do see um, obviously, a lot of the plastic that we see in, in, a, in a sort of more in abundance is actually now washing up on beaches. So we're seeing much more physical manifestation on beaches, which is when you look at things like the Ocean Cleanup Project, what they're trying to do, which is quite clever, is create artificial beaches that float in the ocean. And they do it by creating a, or the, the effect of it. So they yeah. create a, a floating pontoon that allows for the plastic to wash against and, 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 and it allows it to aggregate. So... You know, you see this, and and this is where I, I think honestly, you look at it and you go, "Wow, these are human fingerprints on our planet that are undeniable." Yeah. And this is the thing that it comes back to, which is we're very good at rationalizing things. So when you think about the word climate change, it's always followed by the word debate. It's always a debate: how mm-hmm. much is that made? How much can we want? When you really break it all down, what was the COP agreement? What were those negotiations really about? right? Mm-hmm. They were really about saying, how much can I continue to <laughs> consume? Yeah. That's what it was about. I want to continue consuming dirty fuel and how much can I? So it was really how much about how much can we continue to be consumers? That's what it was about. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about saying, by the way, we have all the solutions and we can stop this today. But it was about trying to rationalize ourselves and we called it a debate. So we have been debating it. Why? Because if you're having a debate, you're not acting. You're still discussing. And I think this is the thing. We have to start realizing that it's not a debate. It's not a dialogue. It's about shifting culture and shifting us to do something today, not in 2025, not in 2030, which is what I always hear. Because this is the frustration. We are the generation that knows the source of our problems, and we are the generation that has the solution. So you name a problem today, pollution, dirty air, plastic in the ocean, deforestation. We we have an answer and a a credible, viable solution to every single one of the problems that we face today. We do. That's what's so insane about this. Yet, because we're invested in an old system where a few people profit, we continue to follow that and we continue to have the conversations as if we have to find a way and we have to figure, you know, like we have to try and figure this one out. We don't have to figure it out. It's figured out for us. You yeah. know, like the planet has figured it out for us. There's a choice we make to consume dirty energy, dumb energy, right? Yeah. Coal, oil, gas, you know, like we make gas now. You know, it's amazing. Everyone says, oh, natural gas. It sounds like it's pure and it's clean. Well, everything's natural. Right, yeah. coal is natural. You call it, you don't call it natural coal, but sunlight <laughs> sunlight is is natural. You know what yeah. I mean? So, but if you look at the nature, nature has given us free, clean, abundant energy: sun, solar, geothermal, wind, tidal. It's given it to us. It's there. It's accessible and it's free. Mm-hmm. But because people, because a few, five companies in the world, or ten, less than ten companies, make Billions and multi-billions of dollars off oil, they are the drug dealers of the world. So they yeah. do the same thing as the digital companies. You know, they make us addicted to oil. Everything runs on oil. You know, this, one of the largest consumers of oil, plastic. So why is the plastic industry 
not going to disappear because it's funded by the oil industry. Yeah. It's the same thing. Oil, a quarter of our consumption of oil goes into plastics. Yeah. We don't think about it like that, you know? And then when you have those conversations, because I know you advise a lot of companies on how they can, you know, change their way and become more sustainable. Do you feel they understand that? Do you feel they kind of think, I, oh, that sounds great, but then practically, you know, they can't I think they under. I think they understand it and, and, and they know that they have to change. The problem is the following. Inside every company are individuals and inside every individual is self-interest, myself yeah. included, right? Mm -hmm. We all just want to create and support the lives that we want to live or we, you know, and we have bills to pay and we're afraid and we don't want to, we don't want to rock the boat, right? So if you're yeah. a manager inside of a business and you say to the business, listen, we should do the right thing. And the right thing would mean stopping making this and doing it this way. And guess what? It's going to cost us more money and we may lose customers and it may not work, but we need to do it. What are they going to do? They're not going to do that because the risk is they lose their job. So they go, look, not on my, you know, I hear this the whole time. Listen, we really love to do this, but yeah. And like, okay. And you know <laughs> that they won't. And yeah. the reason why the buck comes in is often the primary reason is because the economic model that we have created has been set up to only award those who maximize profit at all costs. Mm -hmm. So if you are a director of a company or you're, the, you're an executive at a company, you are legally, legally bound to maximize profit at all costs for your shareholder. So if a company makes loads of money, we reward it in the stock market by other people making money off it. So it's a, it's a very parasitic culture of making money when others make money. When we don't make money, right, mm -hmm. then we, or when companies do the right thing and say, listen, we're going to try and invest in the longer term, we penalize them. And we see this over and over again. It's starting to change slowly, but this is the only way that we'll see culture shift and companies really change is when the economic model values people and the planet. And it's such a cliche, this triple bottom line economics is something that's been talked about since the 60s it's been yeah. you know it's been counted for a long time but we should reward companies that actually solve and actually support community that yeah. aren't just about making money if a company says listen this year we're not going to give billions of dollars back to our shareholders but we're going to invest billions of dollars into educating people or into the environment or into health yeah we would be like i personally be like, oh my god that's amazing what an incredible company the stock market would yeah. kill it. Yeah. It would kill it. The stock market would say, fuck you. You can't do that. We're going to give you a bad report. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Their price crashes. People lose their jobs. And those individuals who wanted to do something, they lose their job. Yeah. So this fear is so ingrained in our economic model. It's all about profit first. And yeah, because you've been speaking also about fighting the design obsolescence, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, it just, it's like, it's like the other day, it's like, I, I swear on my life, it's like, I, I'm so upset because I, had to, I just bought myself a new iPhone, right? I'm on yeah. the iPhone 4 or whatever it was for ages. And I got to the point where it's like, my iPhone just doesn't work. The software just doesn't work. Yeah. You know, like it just freezes on every page. It stops, you know, every time I'm trying to send a text. Yeah. You know, every time I'm trying to do something and it's like slowing down. So and then obviously, you know, 
find out that this is exactly what Apple's been doing, is slowing down on purpose. Mm-hmm. So whether it's design obsolescence or software obsolescence, we're forced. I'm forced to buy a new phone. Yeah. I've done all the updates, but my phone, it goes sunny from 20% power to zero. I'm like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're just part of this consumerist culture that makes but, us consume. And I know here again, I read that you have something again, the, the word of eco-fashion. And I wanted to ask you why, like, what is it? Because at the end of the day, you know, just only a little helps, right? Or is it because it is somehow hypocritical? Oh, it's so hypocritical. I hate the word. <laughs> <laughs> it's because, you know what, there is no such thing as sustainable fashion. No one's going to say that, but it doesn't exist. Yeah. And you'll get all these people who say, oh, my God, what are you talking about? I use organic materials and I, listen, there is no such thing as sustainable. If you make something. The only way it's sustainable is if you were to grow it and you were to sell it or use it and consume it locally, right? Mm-hmm. The reality is this. I can spend as much time, and I do, thinking about using the right materials, using the right dyes, making things locally, using this, that, and the other to make it as sustainable as possible. And then somebody flies it around the world to try it on. They don't <laughs> like it. They fly it all the way back again. Or they, they decide that they, you know, they shrink it or they wash it a hundred times or they throw it out or they get a new thing and they just keep on buying and buying and buying. This is, this is you know, unfortunately the nature of the beast of consumption, right? We, yeah. we are addicted, we're addicted to newness. And so the idea of, you know, the concept of fashion in that regard is that it, you know, it comes and goes, right? So yeah. we, we are, unfortunately... By default, the fashion has just been built on this idea of disposability. And only now are we starting to realize and make, you know, steps. But I think what happens is, unfortunately, we're at a point still where sustainability is a marketing tagline versus a movement. Yeah. That's, you know what I mean? And, and we are, yes, we start to see movements and we start to see people saying, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of people if they read what I'm trying to say, you know, if, if, if it gets translated like this, there'll be a lot of people really angry. I'm like, this is rubbish. There's such big movements. And I would say to them, you know think about it logically being yes we have to start somewhere yes it's better than yes it creates a ripple effect but let's not kid ourselves it's not what you wear that changes the world it's what you do yeah right that's what's important it's how we act it's how we vote right we can't forget that there's a political system and it's you know and we need to you know look at that we need to vote people in who have you know, really strong values. We're, yeah. we're in an age of valueless politicians who are in sound bites, who are in it for the short term, who only want populist conversations, who don't think about the long term. We're so short-sighted and it's reflected. I mean, look at it. Everything in yourself that you see happens outward, right? Everything is a reflection of society. So mm-hmm. America has got Trump because that's what America needed and that's what they wanted. Yeah, that's the point. They wanted someone with sound bites. They wanted someone who was entertaining. They wanted someone who could, you know what I mean, yeah. talk in a language that they could understand. And that is, and I, was, I can't believe he came in. I, of course, we, you know, we 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 can't believe it because we all live inside our own bubbles, myself included. Yeah. We live in a bubble that we see what we want to see. We look through the lens we want to look through. And yeah. so when we say, "Oh, this is sustainable," I, it's a lens that we want to look through. But if you really think about it, I might take my, you know, cotton, no matter if it's organic, no matter if it's sized sustainably, it is the most thirsty crop in the world. And so let's just play this out. Let's say I make a, you know, a, a, you know, suddenly 
Lost Explorer is the most popular brand in the world. Okay. Does it, be- does it become the most sustainable brand in the world? No. It becomes the most unsustainable brand because no matter which way you think about it, I'm suddenly having to make a million things. Yeah. A million things becomes a million boxes. A million boxes becomes a million trees. And you can know I actually I mean? ask you like how, how the Lost Explorer came about? Like what was the thought process? I, yeah. The thought process was to use it as an experiment to try and do things slightly differently. So we're mm-hmm. in the middle of doing things right now, you know, where, you know, and we're in the middle of shifting, but it's like at the end of last year, I said to, you know, if you look on our label, it says established 2025, because the first 10 years are always going to be about moving and evolving and trying to figure out a new model. And, and, and what I've been trying to do is the first couple of years is like, how do we understand the industry? How do I understand how to make, how to produce, how to sell? How do I understand how to be sustainable? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I would say I'm doing a, a, a sort of um, a sort of okay-ish job at being as sustainable <laughs> as I can. Okay-ish. You know what I mean? Yeah. In the grand scheme of things. Because as I say, if I was really to be sustainable, I would say to you, you you're only allowed to buy one or two things. You're not allowed to buy it. You can only buy things in the country that you're in. You can't send things back. Da, da, da. So I thought yeah. about all of this. And recently it's been, you know, one of the things that I started to really, um, you know, sort of, procrastinate about and think about and spend a lot of time you know really trying to get my head around unlocking this conversation and mm-hmm. um and so um at the end of last year i said look what we're going to do is we're going to give 100 percent of our profits um yeah. you know back um and so we just started to think about this and this conversation is something that i'm starting to have now about how does the company operate not as a charity but as a company that gives everything away right yeah. how would that affect the system because it's about for me, the Lost Explorer was about shifting culture, not shifting products. And, you know, we're trying to, you know, create the best products possible. And hopefully as they sell, we can give money back to causes and, and try and do things differently. And I think that's, it's an experiment in trying to do things differently and understanding that, you know what, there's certain limitations because we're operating with inside of an old system. We're operating inside of a system that is, it's, it's very hard to operate within. Yeah. And the, do you see the difference between um, kind of Europe and California? I guess people have a different uh, way to engage in general in yeah, their daily they do. life. Yeah, they do. I think that there is, I think there's some incredible, um, I think Europe has um, obviously more humility in, in, its, um, in its approach, um, you know, and I think that there's been some incredible um, you know, examples of people doing incredible things that you just don't often hear about. And there's a, there's a lot of, um, I would say there's a lot of great technologies. There's a lot of um, inspirational ways of living. When you look around Europe, different cultures, how they live, you know. Um, and I would say in America, it's very good at making a lot of noise about the way things are. And blah, blah, blah. the difference is that in Europe, I find that there's, um, that, that, the motivation to, in America, it's like anything's possible. We can make this happen, yeah. you know, even if they don't believe it, right? Mm-hmm. But so there's a momentum around the action that makes a lot of stuff happen. Whereas in Europe, there's a tendency to do stuff, but there's a there's a hierarchy. It's a little slower, mm-hmm. but they do incredible when it's done. It's done incredibly well with consideration and thought. So I kind of feel like if you can take a little bit of that kind of anything's possible mentality and throw yeah. it into the mix in Europe with the, with the European craft and consideration, you could find a really good mix, um, you know, of things. But I think, you know, what happened with the kind of the, the environmental space, like always, it's all come back to money. 
So environmental groups are fighting for funding. And, 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 and I always hear about this thing like the green economy, the circular economy. It's always like the first thing we do is go, can it make sense financially? Yeah. So, yeah, that does make sense. Obviously, if you have a sustainable <laughs> business, then yeah. But it's like, why don't we say, why can't the model be different, right? So what happened was the first wave of green, all these people were like, yeah, we're setting up a green fund. We're going to make money off nature again. We're going to set up a green this, a green investment, impact this, impact that. You know, and you're like, wow, it's always about making money because what you're trying to do is show an, a broken model. Oh, look, we can be the same. We can be like you. You're like, why yeah. would you? It's like, why do that? Why not just go, look, we're going to do it differently. It's not that it doesn't. It's not about saying it doesn't have to make money because it's about just saying the, the value of money. Money is an arbitrary thing. And we're only just I know, but it's, it's a very difficult question because now also yeah. we're facing the rise, for example, of uh, countries like Africa where you can't be eyebrow about it. It's because we're on that side of the fence. Obviously, when you say, you know, I think you should see your development with already that, you know, idea of sustainability, but we're only coming from our very privileged and kind of, you know, 100%. modern. And that's, I find, a really hard thing. And in the same way, you know, I think, obviously, you know, you know, where you come from, for example, has given you also that space to kind of think about it and take it with more distance. If you're fighting for your salary at the end of the month, it's really hard, I think, to just see it in that way. And, and it's, that's, I think, the hard reality of it. Yeah, and I think, I think you know, worthiness is mm. the death of the cause. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, I think we have an ability, especially in Europe, we have an ability to look down on those as the others. You know, mm-hmm. the amount of times I go to, you know, I've done talks in France and Vienna, in, in, in Paris and Vienna, in in. in in Munich and places like that. And there's this tendency, well, we've been green for ages. You know, Merkel was the environment minister. We've been way ahead of it. We're better than you. And it's like, it's not a competition. Yeah. What it should be about is collaborating on knowledge and sharing mm-hmm. knowledge. And what we should be doing is not just sitting there saying, well, you should, and I agree. Listen, it sounds preachy and worthy. And I never, ever, I don't, I've never sat down. And I don't, in, in all of the things that I do, I make it really clear. It's not for me to tell you how to live your life. You'll never hear me say, you're a bad person, you should do this. It's not in my interest. But what I think is really important is to say, look, I've learned these things along yeah. the journey. And, and you may find them in, you know, you may find these, 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 these stories, these anecdotes, this information useful. And if you find it useful, hopefully it allows you to make an informed decision that works for you. Yeah. And I think what, what we should do is showcase, because you see what happens is, in developing countries, this is exactly what happens is we go, you're not allowed to develop now. And everyone goes, well, hang on a second. You've <laughs> gone out, you've developed, you've done all this stuff, you've lived this life, you've had, you know, you've had globalization to the max. You've got food all year round that's non-seasonal, you can fly in all these things, you did it, and, and, and we just want to try and get ourselves into a, a position. And it's like, well, no, you're not allowed to do that. So the, instead of saying, listen, we have pollution, we have poverty, we have all the things. Inequality. That, you know, inequality, everything. I have the things that you cannot believe that you, you know, because you see the thing that is, it's all shiny. Everyone wants these things, but we, we have made some huge mistakes and, and here's some information on maybe not how to make mistakes. Yeah. We want to, we want to work with you. If we were more humble and this is the problem with America, it's not humble. This is the problem with Europe. We look down our noses yeah. and this is, it comes back to colonization. It comes back to this, you know, that it comes back to so many things that heaviness in Europe. Yeah. You know, we were, we were horrible colonizers. We did horrible things. We were horrible people. 
and we've all profited from it. You know what I mean? As mm-hmm. in, you know, and we, we went and we still do. And, and, and you know, right now it's commercial colonization. That's the problem. Like Africa is the most resource rich continent in the world. And what has happened? Exploitation from day one. It's been people going in and taking and taking and taking and then telling them how to live their lives. Mm-hmm. how to be something and it's not and and we see it over and over again you but know? it's also them thinking that capitalism has to be the only sure. way exactly yeah. yeah so what do you think your next big issue will be do you think it will still have to involve extreme adventuring um i don't know i'm sort of you know i i go back and forth i mean i sort of float between For me, it's about just trying to tell compelling stories and tell stories that need to be told or, or try and reinforce stories. I mean, I think, you know, it's exciting to see that the plastic conversation is really starting to take hold now. Mm-hmm. It's taken 10 years. Um, you know, I started talking, you know, about it in 2006. And I feel like now in 2018, people are starting to kind of go, oh, okay. Uh, we're just starting to wake up. And so I think, you know, kind of, I want to try and figure out a way in which the plastic can jump back into that conversation. Um, oh, great. Some ideas about that. And so we're, we're looking to do get, get the plastic out and put it on tour and, and, and think about how that could actually start to, you know, not just talk about the problem, but actually try and use it as a platform for innovation and solutions mm-hmm. um, and try and kind of, you know, we, we're sort of. Because you've been also working a lot on, um, I see in your brand, but also um, in the technology you used for the plastic is to kind of think about biomimicry and kind of how to also adapt the new technology and how you can uh, make advances in that. Yeah, I mean, I think what I've been trying to, the thing that I've realized is that there's a lot, and I said it earlier, I, I'm really trying to focus my narrative on the opportunities that we have, not just mm-hmm. the problems. And I really yeah. want to think it's important to reduce fear and replace fear with curiosity. So creating stories that create a sense of wonder and awe, you know, a sense of intrigue. And that's why biomimicry is so interesting to me. Because when you think about biomimicry, it's, it's really something that is about, um, you know, creating a sense of, um, of, 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 of wonder, right? So if you take mm-hmm. a shark, you know, we're afraid of sharks, shark, weak sharks eat me, sharks eat me. <laughs> so why should I care about sharks? But if you realize when you look at sharks, they have this incredible patterning on their skin. And they have these things called ventricles that make them much more hydrophobic through the water, allows them to be more streamlined through the water. Scientists recently realized that on the surface of the skin, bacteria doesn't like to grow because of this patterning, this shape, mm-hmm. it's just this phenomenon. So now you take that pattern and you put it onto mobile phones, car handles, door handles, put it into circulation. You have a naturally antibacterial resistant pattern that comes from sharks. So now That's sharks, fascinating. Yeah. So now sharks suddenly become a, a, a center of interest. You suddenly yeah. go, wow, I didn't think about that. And in, an, and in, a, in, a, in a time where we may move into a post-antibiotic era, we might need to find things that stop bacteria from spreading. And so now we look at the shark as a source of inspiration and innovation. We don't look at it as something that eats us. So this is how we need to shift the yeah. curiosity and mm-hmm. the misinformation. This, you know, we talk about fake news. Fake news is not a new thing. Fake news has been used to attack nature for so long, mm-hmm. right? I've never seen people get more angry. If I go online and I say something like, we should think more about polluting our atmosphere. If I say something like that on Twitter, The amount of people are like, fuck you, environment, <laughs> climate change. I mean, I'm like, wow. I'm like, Jesus, so you don't want to breathe dirty air? Sorry, if you're happy breathing dirty air, let's keep doing what you're doing. It's like, oh, this is just some tax scheme. It's a fake. It's a hoax. 
you know, the rise of conspiracy, the rise yeah. of it's, 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 it's really scary. And fake news has existed inside of the environmental space for so long, propagated by corporations and the people who profit. And so I think for me, I really, as I look at this, I go trying to create, you know, narratives that are real, trying to create um, narratives that create a sense of awe and wonder, that remove fear, that remove, you know, these things that just stop people from connecting. And I think that's what's so important. Yeah, it's true. So I have a very more kind of pedestrian question about your routine. Is there, is there, do you have some sort of routine in LA or in general or as an adventurer, you're kind of always um, on the go? I don't know. I'm always trying to, I try and I try, I hate to try and be in routine. I try to not be in my routine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, you get in routines and you do the same things and you go to the same restaurants and you travel in the same streets and you, you know what I mean? You move around in the same way. And I think, you know, these are the things that you, you know, as a human, as you get older, you know, you, you realize it's so easy to become a creature of habit. Yeah. And I think I just try and keep on, you know, I try and keep changing my routine in order to try and live the most interesting life that I can live. And I feel that, you know, I, I never take it for granted that I'm a human, you know, statistical yeah. chance of being human are extraordinary. Statistical <laughs> chance of being a human that gets to make choices even more extraordinary. Mm -hmm. This chance of being a human who gets to make choices and act upon them is even more extraordinary. And I'm sitting there as are you and as are probably your readers, you know? And so to me, we get to enact and make choices. And that is fucking incredible. Indeed. So that is, we get to make choices, you know? We're so blessed. That is the richness of life. We get to make choices about the, the people we engage with, how we travel, what we do, what we think, how we move, how we eat, how we sleep, what we wear all those things. And so just to sit in the same routine every day and do the same things, which happens often, I have to try and kick myself and say, do something new, break that, you know, you have the choice, use it. Yeah, Make but sometimes different. it has to be fitness week. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes I know. I was trying to just get fit again because I was in the routine of just doing nothing. <laughs> so now I, I'm like, Jesus, I'm a middle-aged, I'm like, I'm like the number one, if, if I was to, From a demographic standpoint, I'm like, I'm an, I'm an, I'm like the atypical asshole. I'm a white male middle aged. I mean, literally, I'm like the worst. Like, I'm like enemy number one. <laughs> so you know what I mean. I got to try and just be as nice as I possibly can be because I, if you look at like the root cause of most problems, I mean, the number one, the, the number one biggest threat to anything on this planet since day one is men, right? Yeah. Has been, <laughs> and it still is, and so it's like. You know, that's one thing you have to consider, break the routine of what it means to be a man. Yeah. Two is, is, is to be a white man, right? You know, it's like we have had, there's an arrogance to being white. Where it's an entitlement. So remembering to be humble But, and not to be entitled. Yeah, and actually one of my questions was, though, because I read this um, interview quote where you talk about sedentarism, right? So, uh, I talked about I what? Know. Sorry, I missed that. So the fact that human became sedentary, so like stopped moving, right? No, yeah. Went from yeah, being yeah, nomads. Yeah. Um, and yes. I don't know if yeah. you ever, if you read the uh, Homo sapiens book from Dr. Yeah. Hariri, but basically yeah, that's your home. Very interesting. Exactly. And yeah. I was wondering how now you're, you're saying you're 40, I guess your life becomes more stable in a way. Is it harder yeah. to fight the fight? Like, is it harder to... Yeah, it is. Yeah? Definitely. You know what makes it harder is is um, the more you know. Yeah. 
the more you know. And, and, and in the spectrum of the, the older I get, the less I know. But the more I know about the system and about what you're operating against, it's the biggest demotivator. It's yeah. so much easier to take the path of least resistance and, and that makes it hard. You and know? youth and enthusiasm, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because I see, I see these 20 year old kids and they're just like, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm going to crush it. This is how. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, I was like that. You know what I mean? I skied across Antarctica with, with no experience. None. I lied my way. Everyone said, oh my God, what mountains have you climbed? I lied. I lied about everything. I was like, how hard can it be? It's just pushing your feet back and forth. You know what I mean? And so I think about it and I think it's very easy. You know, there's a great Sufi saying that says, you know, our, our pain is the breaking of the shell that encompasses our understanding. And I believe mm -hmm. that to, to break that shell, the, the, the quickest way to break the shell and break the routine is to, um, have another, is, is, to, um, is to travel. Travel is the greatest truth remote. You know, it really does allow you, when you go and spend time with different cultures, different communities, different people, You know, you, you stress yourself, you move yourself into different environments and, and you move and you break the box of our, of our reality and our economy. You really start to understand who you are and you understand more about the world. And it's been my greatest mentor, my greatest teacher is nature. And unfortunately, that's all we have time for. You can find out more information about David and his adventures on cement.com. We are very, very excited to take you into his world. Thank you very much for listening and we hope you have a wonderful cement.